The following program is produced and furnished in conjunction with Roger Waldron of the Coalition for Government Procurement, which is entirely responsible for its content. Welcome to Off the Shelf with Roger Waldron of the Coalition for Government Procurement on Federal News Network. Off the Shelf gives a voice to commercial service and product companies selling in the federal market. Roger speaks to members and government officials about procurement policy, trends, innovations, and debates. Now your host, Roger Waldron. Today my guests on Off the Shelf are Tim Cook. Tim is the Executive Director for the Center for Procurement Advocacy and Tom Sisti. Tom is the Executive Vice President and General Counsel for the Coalition for Government Procurement. And today we're going to talk uh, all about what's going on on the Hill, procurement policy, uh, what folks need to focus on in the coming year. But first of all, I want to you know, thank you guys for coming on the show. It's great to see you again. It's our pleasure, Roger. Thank you for having us. Good morning, Roger. Thank you for having us. Yeah, well, um, let's let's dive right into it. You know, we had an election. Um, the Hill has changed. Uh, Tim, can you start and give us the lay of the land or the lay of the hill? Absolutely. Well, the big news, like you said, is that the um, the Republicans have taken over the House. And um, in as much as they have, their uh, majority is very slim, only four at this point. And, and so that really means that um, there needs to be, I guess, discussion and, and uh, on anything that comes to the floor. And, uh, Right now, because of that slim majority, um, it's going to be difficult to get a lot of work done. And the way the Republicans have decided to, uh, I guess, work on the issue of legislating is to have open rules on the floor, which allow members to be much more involved and votes to be much more focused. And so in as much as that's occurring, um, that's their credo and that's the way they want to do it. But it'll make for, um, I guess, uh, more arduous work for passing bills out of the house. I'll just jump right in. The main issue facing the Congress at this point is the looming uh, extension of the debt ceiling. And we found out just um, this week that it extraordinary measures will probably expire sometime in the July, August timeframe. And there needs to be a negotiation to extend the debt ceiling. And right now the Republicans in the house have said that they do not want to pass a clean debt ceiling extension. They want to make sure that discretionary spending is reduced for any future negotiation on the debt ceiling. Just going back to the legislating um, and, you know, what does it mean? Does it, you know, uh, I guess the open rules on the floor or whatever that, does that mean like members can submit amendments without regard to like some sort of structure to it in a certain sense or a limitation? What does that really mean? It means that, um, you know, the agenda is set and members are able to um, discuss the specificity of whatever's being discussed on the floor. And it's being done with individual bills and actions as opposed to lumping um, many issues together and then doing one vote. And so um, it allows members to comment on the bills and the work that's going on on the floor. And then it allows them to take votes so they can um I'll be on the record for what exactly they're working on and what exactly they want to do. It, it does sound like it's more work, right? Because, or just a different process that people are going to have to navigate because in the past, right, everything would be sort of consolidated in some big bill. And then people would have to make their judgments about, you know, whether they're going to support it. They may not support everything. 
but they would, you know, but overall they're going to, you know, pass the bill. Now it's going to be much more focused conversations on specific policies. Is that what I get out of that? Absolutely. And I think the Republicans are really focused on what they call regular order, which is to get back to having hearings, doing the legwork before the hearings to make sure both sides are in agreement with whatever is being discussed so that whatever bill comes out of committee can actually proceed to the floor and not have to be amended on the floor. So that um, whipping the vote and ensuring that people have um, their say in this very narrow majority, uh, majority is very important and very arduous, but they feel that this will provide better legislation and, um, and a better working Congress. And they feel that this is much a much better model, the old model, as it were, of just the control being with the speaker and the leadership of the House in the majority. This is, allows the members to have more input on the legislation and what's actually going on on the House side. So basically that they're not surprised on the floor by a mega bill. They haven't had a chance to really review. There's been no... no collegial discussion on that's the argument yeah i guess just the flip side of that or there's always you know pluses and minus to everything right so the question is how much you know given that it's going to be broken up in this that way and there's going to be more discussion how much is really going to get be able to get accomplished and then and my second question is sort of so if they take that approach, then the legislation is not part of a big omnibus package. And I use omnibus just as a general term, not as a specific term of art. And it go, a specific legislation goes over to the Senate. They're absolutely trying to do, as I said, the regular order of passing um, individual appropriations bills and not having yeah. what Tom mentioned, the <laughs> omnibus. They they also want to make sure that um, they're, they are starting the the bills and passing them and sending them to the Senate as opposed to what kind of happened in the last session where there were negotiations about things that the Senate wanted, but the Senate hadn't passed their bill. And so they really want to make sure that order is, is renewed so that, that Congress is, is working. But as you, as you mentioned, I mean, uh, and we'll probably cover it later in the discussion, you have to have, context of of a compromise and also um an agreement on specific issues you want to deal with and some issues will be too difficult to deal with and won't be able to be dealt with because of the narrow majority one Uh issue that comes up is um that it seems to have bipartisan and bicameral support is our dealings with china and how we need to deal with the supply chain and and uh the threat of uh chinese incursions that gets us to sort of some of the changes we were seeing uh, in the House since the election. I mean, for one thing, we have a new committee, uh, the Select Committee on Strategic Competition between the United States and the Chinese Communist Party. Um, this agenda is kind of unfolding. Obviously, current events uh, are going to have an impact on the agenda, Um and uh, they're being discussed uh, now, in fact. Uh, but there, there are various members who have uh, expressed uh, that the, the greatest threat to the U.S. is the uh, Chinese Communist Party. Um, not was, and we've gone through some of the, the issues attendant to what's going on in China, and you see it played out in 
uh, defense authorization bills. Um, but that, as I said, the agenda is unfolding. Um, you're, you're likely going to see alignment with the administration on some issues like cutting off Huawei from U.S. suppliers. Um, and, and even, you know, in a related issue, there's a, a, a bill, Congressman Chris Smith from New Jersey dropped uh, on, uh, I think it's called the China Trade Regulations Act, that would link trade uh, for China to improving its human rights record, um, mentioning things like uh, the uh, labor camps, organ harvesting, and ceasing IP theft and espionage. So a lot of, you have this committee that's focused on China, but it's also becoming a magnet for a lot of uh, China redress, if you will. Uh, so so I think um, we're dealing with some unknowns there. We're also, I think, whenever there's a change in the um, control of a House or a House of Congress or, or all of Congress, you know, staffs realign, um, offices realign, and we're seeing that now, and, and I think the... Uh, the Republicans, to some extent, in 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 the government contract space, are are staffing and moving staff around. So that that plays out as well in this process, has an impact on oversight. Um, so uh, a number of things have to just basically play out uh, with time. Right. So you know we're up on the break, Tim and Tom. So when we come back, yeah, you know, we'll continue a little bit about the state of play. Just you know, with regard to that staff realignment and maybe what some of the acquisition issues may or may not be, but we can focus more on that. But we can also just take a look back to and highlight some of the aspects of the uh, 2023 NDAA that, you know, sort of stand out from a procurement policy supply chain perspective. My guests today are Tim and Tom. Tim Cook, who is the executive director of the Center for Procurement Advocacy, and Tom Sisti, who's the executive vice president and general counsel for the Coalition for Government Procurement. I'm Roger Waldron, and you're listening to Off the Shelf on Federal News Network. Welcome back to Off the Shelf on Federal News Network. I'm Roger Waldron. My guests today are Tim Cook. He's executive director of the Center for Procurement Advocacy, and Tom Sisti, who is the executive vice president and general counsel for the Coalition for Government Procurement. And, you know, this is a continuation. I've done a, two or three shows now focusing on, you know, the Hill, uh, the NDA, procurement policy generally. Um, and we're going to continue that conversation. And, um, you know, I know the first segment we talked about the state of play on the Hill. I uh, just don't know if you have any other additional comments beyond, uh, you know, Tom, you were talking about the, shift in staff that happens when, you know, one party takes control of a house that was in the minority in the previous Congress, just shifting things. How does that shifting thing sort of impact priorities or how people figure out what the priorities are? Or is it just based on, you know, the folks, a lot of folks are up there and they just move from minority to majority or they switch in jobs and, you know, personalities and, viewpoints and the staffers do shape a lot of things. Well, current events also shapes a lot of things. Sure, and I think of course. That, you, know, yep. you know, the balloons are totally having the influence, but I, I, th- I think uh, at least on the armed services side, there's a tremendous amount of collegiality 
on those committees, uh, very uh, strong mission focus. Uh, so um, some of the things we might see are attempts to address uh, the acquisition workforce or to address industrial base issues. Certainly cyber is going to be in there given current events, right? Um, I, I, I think supply chain, of course, we have a new committee um, that is cognizant, I suspect, as we all are, of uh, the nature of our globalized supply chain and um, who a significant force in that supply chain is. So, I, I mean, you can see, I don't think you're going to see a whiplash, you know, uh, where we're going to stop doing everything. I think what, what you may get out of this, based, as I said, on current events and the consistency and collegiality of, of, of some committees is is just a, a refined focus on issues that um, are driving the day, if you will. Tim, isn't it, you know, like procurement issues, sort of to Tom's point, are typically, you know, are, are in the, you know, NDA are pretty bipartisan exercises for the most part when you get to the fundamental core of addressing like procurement reform, streamlining, supply chain kind of things. Is that is that fair to say? Absolutely, Roger. I think that um, that's a major focus. I think that has really come into view in the context of resupplying for Ukraine and also our preparation for possible future missions in the Pacific. And um, DOD is very cognizant that that they need to make sure that they have the best equipment and the best technology and the way to do that is to make sure that um, regulations and um, and provisions in the NDAA address those regulations to streamline difficulties and make sure this, the supply chain is resilient and that the industrial base is resilient um, with many contractors that can that can make the parts that are needed to make the larger systems. Tom, uh, you know, that's a great segue, Tim. I appreciate that. You, you made my, my, my work easier here. So you talk about those supply chain issues, procurement issues. Let's now we can, you know, sort of segue to, you know, last year's or the FY23, right, NDA, uh, you know, some provisions or whatever jumps out at you, Tom, from your sort of procurement policy perspective. Well, I'll... Just, I, I don't know if we want to remember <laughs> from some, in some uh, uh, context. I mean, we had the, uh, thankfully, we, there there appeared to be some significant pre-negotiation or concurrent negotiation going on during the pendency of the NDAA. And that's, this is a feature that we've observed over a number of sessions of Congress that the NDAA is passing later and later. This one, you don't get much later than this year. Uh, it passed on December 23rd, I think. So, um, but I think, again, that's, I don't think that was because of conflict about the bill itself as much as it was the atmospheric surrounding uh, the bill. Um, the bill uh, has, well, now law, um, is still occurring in a context. Um, appropriations issues as tim mentioned and and um and now we have debt ceiling issues um but there is consensus and i think i we could spend multiple shows on on this bill but so i'll just pull out two areas uh china restrictions 
that's more that's uh, at, at a micro level. At a macro level, what uh, we at the coalition uh, called the crinks, uh, China, Russia, Iran, and North Korea, you know, as uh, sources of supply as risks in the environment. So China is one thing, and uh, of course cyber. But there were a number of things. I mean, I, I just off the top of our heads, we we know that uh, Congressman Connolly um, was trying for several sessions of Congress to um, uh, enact statutory authority for the um, the FedRAMP program. That is the um, the uh, the cloud program, uh, cloud security program, uh, the federal risk uh, and authorization management program. Um, that uh, was a regulatory program over in GSA. So now it's a, it's a, it's enacted for agencies to follow. Um, but uh, other provisions uh, were um, were in there as well. We had um, uh, certainly provisions focused on China and the industrial base um, trying to streamline the process. Tim and Tom, I have a question. So there's one provision. I guess I call it the Huawei 2. You know, it's it's the microchip. Uh, the semiconductor. Semiconductor, excuse me. Let me use the right terminology. Um, right. You know, what, what is that all about? That That's, again, you, you've, you've, one of the big themes you mentioned is this sort of trying, you know, looking at China as a supplier to the defense industrial base, basically. Um, what does that semiconductor provision do? Well, it restricts contracting um, with an entity. This is a very, you have to read this provision a number of times, but it restricts contracting with an entity to procure or obtain electronic parts or products that use electronic parts of certain covered um, companies. And uh, enumerated there are uh, the Semiconductor Manufacturing International Corporation the Zhangjin uh, Memory Technology, Zhangzi, and other entities as defined, which is, if you remember from our 889 days, that remember 889, a few uh, NDAAs ago, was the restriction on the use of telecommunications products or services and the government's acquisition of same uh, from uh, certain uh, Chinese, uh, enumerated Chinese telecom companies. The challenge there is always that last provision that says, or these other entities that are ultimately de- defined by the SecDef. Well, the challenge is that, um, you know, industry loves certainty, of course, and um, certainly for planning purposes. And if you, you could be walking down a path and then all of a sudden find out you have a challenge uh, with a, a, a specific company. So there's that issue. Um these things, this restriction has to be, the FAR Council, of course, is going to draft regs about this, but that's, and in doing so, they have to make sure there's a flow down uh, for electronic parts. There is a waiver provision, but it's, it's, um, uh, it can be done in two-year increments under certain conditions that are very restricted. It takes five years after enactment, so they, you have a chance to kind of work this through, okay, one more thing that systems systems uh, um, with prohibited semiconductors the day before the effective date, um, to, in some uh, respects, are grandfathered in. But it's going to be a challenging provision to implement. 
So, yeah, so basically the installed base that may have these semiconductors is grandfathered in, but, you know, sort of in that five-year time frame too, both government and industry will have the time to plan, issue appropriate kind of sound regulations. Companies can begin to plan and react to them. And then there's a waiver process. Right. It kind of, it kind of follows the technology refresh cycles of companies and organizations generally. You know, right. I mean, if you have a laptop that's five years, I mean, think about our laptop refreshment cycle. Right, right, right. 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 So, okay, great. Well, when we come back, we'll continue our discussion of the FY23 NDA, maybe identify a couple more key sections, and then we can, can you know, we, I know we touched on it a bit, but we'll talk about what, where Congress is headed from a specific policy perspective uh, over the new Congress. My guests today are Tim Cook, Executive Director for the Center for Procurement Advocacy, and Tom Sisti, who is the Executive Vice President and General Counsel for the Coalition for Government Procurement. I'm Roger Waldron, and you're listening to Off the Shelf on Federal News Network. Welcome back to Off the Shelf on Federal <clears throat> News Network. My guests today are Tim Cook. He is the Executive Director for the Center for Procurement Advocacy, and Tom Sisti, who is the Executive Vice President and General Counsel for the Coalition for Government Procurement. And we're continuing a sort of spotlight on the Hill and what's going on there. Um, and Tom, we you know, when we, we last segment, we spent a fair amount of time talking about a couple provisions in the NDA that are of significant note uh, to to government and to industry. Um, you know, I think there's some other areas that the NDA tackled that you wanted to address. I think one of them is inflation. Can you talk about what what the what the Hill did there? Yeah, I think you remember uh, uh, industry was kind of hit sideways with the significant jump in inflation over the past couple of years. Um, and, uh, and so there were efforts to try and get those accounted for in, in contracting. I think uh, you know, we saw from the civilian, some civilian agencies efforts to do that. Congress um, sought to address it as a temporary authority. So um, de- allowing DOD to use um uh, funds specifically by, uh, provided uh, by an Appropriations Act for inflation. Um, and you didn't even have to ask for consideration to have these applied, but there um, you had to have a presidential authorization and it, the, the issue had to be solely due to inflation. So the cost uh, to, a, a, let's say, a prime contractor uh, to perform is greater um, than the price of the contract. Um, so they could submit a modification. They'd have to certify um, that it'll flow down remittances to the subs. Um, so this is kind of, this is a high, high, high threshold. And it requires a, a lot of accounting. Now, you know, we saw this in other contexts, Um uh, last year, I think, Roger, and the year before, right? Uh, before we get to those, Tom, so so just to, to be sort of clear, and like it sounds to me like Congress giveth and Congress taketh away in the same provision that, that uh, shock, I'm shocked, I'm shocked that that would happen. But it's almost like, oh, yeah, inflation is a problem here. You can address it, but it's got the criteria, like, you know, the price increase solely due to inflation, not anything else. 
Um, the price has got to be the cost of performing has got to be greater than the cost on the contract or the price on the contract. And then there's got to be, you know, the funds specifically available for it. You know, those kind of things like that's like, you're not going to get those things. I wouldn't say it's giveth and taketh. I would say it's, it's a garden hose, not a fire hose. Okay. In okay. terms of the flow of, uh, of remuneration. So um, that's, that's, that's pretty much it. Um, I don't think we're going to see in this Congress any more discussion of the inflation issue. I think it's kind of like, yes, we've handled it now. So we're right. moving on, especially right. since some of the numbers have started to drop. Um, I think another issue that's addressed here, and without going into the specific, I just want to get it into concept. Uh, over the last several years, in the context of uh, Buy America um, procurements, uh, procurement requirements, you know, the, I mean, most people say, oh, Buy America, that's a, that's a restriction. Well, it's not really a restriction. It's a penalty, not penalty is a bad word. It's a delta that's added to um, a bid if um, the component, either through a component test or what have you, the um, the U.S. domestic um, content is not sufficient, okay? It doesn't mean that um, where there isn't that content, the person cannot bid. They can, and if their price is still low or there are other... Uh, externalities that apply in the statute, you um, you can still win. Our, as you remember, Roger, our, our write-ups in various contexts have been perhaps given the challenges from adversaries around the world and the desire to have our allies on the same page with us uh, with respect to doing business with some of those countries that are challenged, we should uh, incent them uh, by uh, engaging a kind, in a kind of buy-allied um, approach to procurements. Well, you're seeing more provisions uh, in this NDAA on this um, DOD uh, being required to periodic re- periodically review limitations on procuring specified items uh, and determine whether they can do so. Another provision, I think, is the expansion of the national technology industrial base uh, that takes place here. They're adding New Zealand to it. Now we have all five eyes, I guess I should explain, five eyes are U.S., Canada, New Zealand, Australia, and the U.K. Well, we had four of those eyes in the National Technology Industrial Base. Now we're adding the fifth. Okay, New Zealand. Uh, again, um, it's it's a small step, but it's a, a it's a significant and uh, a step towards uh, this idea of, of trying to work closer in partnership with allies. Um, and what it does is it keeps everybody in the same place. It doesn't enrich our adversaries. Um, it doesn't insert our adversaries' technology or starts to limit the insertion of our adversaries' technology into their systems. So I think, you know, these are there's, – there's interesting progress on that front. So, Tom, let me ask you a question, though, just to get, and just get this clear to people understand, is that 
you know, I guess the irony or the, you know, I don't, I don't you know, the, the issue with the Buy American Act and the way it's implemented is it's not a prohibition, like just vis-a-vis uh, certain countries like China. Let's uh, choose China yeah. example. So it's not a prohibition on buying Chinese products. It's a pricing differential that is applied if a foreign item is the low priced item or if like so for if the Chinese item uh, manufactured item produced item is lower in price than the domestic item that's next low you you add a price differential but if the Chinese product after adding that price differential is low you can buy it under the buy American act however under the trade agreements act it's a go no you know Type of, type of provision. You're either an eligible country or you're not. And China is not an eligible country. So actually, in reality, what can happen under the Buy American Act is you can buy a bunch of you know non-American stuff from Chinese companies or Indian companies or others who are not signed up to the Trade Agreements Act. Um, but under the TAA, you wouldn't be able to buy the Chinese or Indian things. It's kind of I don't know how many folks really understand or appreciate that. Yeah, thoughts well, correct, that? sir. Right. Okay. I'm correct. Okay. Well, you know what? We can finish that segment on that comment, and we come back and finish up just um, a little bit about uh, buy allied and where things you think are headed, and and more generally, uh, Tim, we can talk about you know the agenda for this year and what you see are the big um, issues that the Hill may tackle. Uh, my guests today are Tim Cook. He's the executive director for the Center for Procurement Advocacy and Tom Sisti, who is the executive vice president and general counsel for the Coalition for Government Procurement. I'm Roger Waldron, and you're listening to Off the Shelf on Federal News Network. Welcome back to Off the Shelf on Federal News Network. I'm Roger Waldron. My guests today are Tim Cook, he is the executive director for the Center for Procurement Advocacy, and Tom Sisti, who is executive vice president and general counsel for the Coalition for Government Procurement. And we're continuing our sort of spotlight on the Hill and what's going on there. And Tom, I know um, you, you had to, wanted to finish your thoughts about buy allied slash China. I know I, I sort of, you know, tried to, I monopolized that last minute, just explaining or addressing the Buy American Act one, once again. Um, versus TAA, um, your, you know, sort of final thoughts on the, you know, whole supply chain issue. Well, I just think um, you have to be cognizant of the fact that uh, it, it's been a long time coming, but now we are more and more focused on China. We have provisions that um, relate to purchasing um, uh, from uh, any, uh, any uh, of the, what we call cranks, China, Iran, North Korea, um, and Russia. And uh, so we have restrictions on foreign-made unmanned aircraft systems. There are restrictions um, uh, on contractors. that They have to make reasonable inquiry to find out whether or not they're using rare earths and uh, critical uh, materials uh, mined from China, okay, Um you you go down there um and we talked about the semiconductor language and there are provisions explicitly um prohibiting uh the sale of goods uh from the uh Uyghur region uh at uh commissaries and exchanges for DOD 
I mean, this is going to keep going is the point. Um, where I don't think, especially, again, after current events, I do not see us uh, uh, moving uh, away from uh, this path. I think there is an awakening uh, to the strategic threat that exists uh, with China. And I, I suspect that's... Communist uh, Party of China. Com- yeah, exactly. Communist Party of China. So you expect to see more provisions, probably, yes. you know, people identify different ways to, you know, to, to repeat what they've already done or add to what they've already done. Um, and one thing I wanted to ask you about is the industrial base and specifically, and, you know, whether what was done last year or what you could foresee moving forward, just from the perspective that there's been lots of focus on the health of the industrial base, you know, what's, how competitive it is, what barriers are there for, you know, to the marketplace, the federal marketplace, um, Tom. And, you know, for example, one of the things you get these reports, like, you know, there are less small businesses doing business with, you know, DOD, but at the same time, the dollars have increased. Um, and what does that mean for the overall health and competition and access to technology? Um, what do you see moving forward on that? Talk. Well, I, I mean, we're seeing hearings in the House on this issue. I mean, there there was, uh, I believe I read it in Bloomberg this week. If you look at fiscal years 18 to 22, uh, the number of defense vendors fell um, uh, almost, well, almost uh, 10,000. At the same time, the dollars increased. And the same, we see similar um, stats in connection with small businesses. So you have to ask, okay, what is going on? Um, Sure, some of it could be industry consolidation, uh, but are we dealing with departures from the market? Are we dealing with vendors who um, don't view the government marketplace as um, an attractive alternative compared to what they face in the private sector? You know, People have to be cognizant of the fact that, um, especially innovative commercial firms, um, they don't have a lot of revenue associated with this market space. So to the extent that they have high costs of entry or high costs of uh, compliance in the space, um, we have to assess the impact of that cost, because if they're not coming in, then the, you're reducing competition. You reduce uh, um, the the downward pressure on prices. Remember, the government way, way back in acquisition reform uh, predicated its use of commercial terms, conditions, products, and supplies on the notion that it didn't need to design everything it, it was going to use that in appropriate circumstances where you don't have some mission criticality issue. Um, it only makes sense to leverage the research and innovation expenditures of the private mm-hmm. sector so, so that you free up scarce tax dollars for the government to invest in mission critical items um, to what, you know, to what extent are we overlaying on the system uh, processes or regulations that are undermining that mission, that goal, uh, to the point where vendors are not looking at the government as an, a, a good alternative. Um, there is talk about, you know, having commercial items, uh, 
uh, laced with more documentation requirements. Well, that's got, we're going back to what we had before the major acquisition reforms. So that's a that's a big issue. Is uh, to right. what extent are we setting up bar- barriers, and especially for small businesses? Because remember, a lot of innovation in this economy, and that's not a lip service. I mean, like a lot, like fifty percent or more, comes from smaller firms that don't have the resources to deal with some of the compliance issues that are attendant um, to to the government space. And it's not about being anti-compliance or things like that consistency is an issue. If you have inconsistent contract administration in an agency or between agencies, that can be a challenge uh, for smaller firms to deal with. So just off the bat, you have uh, issues like that. Right. So this can be a big focus this year you know, from a procurement policy perspective. Uh, Tim, you know, we got two or three minutes left. I just want to, I, I think it's important to sort of level set again. We started talking about at the beginning of the show about some of these things, but there's some big sort of, um, you know, significant um, issues that have to be addressed or will be addressed one way or the other, I guess, by Congress. Uh, can, can we run down to those real quick and just what the implications potentially are? Absolutely, Roger. Thank you very much. So I'd say just going chronologically here, um, the next a uh, big thing is the release of the president's budget that'll probably happen in the week of the 7th of March and then multiple hearings about um, the priorities. And um, these are always important to be attuned to um, based on the questions for the record and what the different policy proposals are, because um, the latest news is uh, issue about reduction of uh, discretionary spending and the solvency of Medicare and Medicaid. So, um, that gets us into uh, the beginning of them working on the appropriations bills, but the looming cloud over Capitol Hill is how are they going to deal with the debt ceiling? Because the, uh, the Republicans in the house said that they will not pass a clean debt ceiling, that they want um, reduction of spending, including in any deal. And so they're going to have to figure out what's on the negotiating table and how they can get to closure before probably the middle of August. And then we roll uh, right into September where we need to be concerned about um, the shutdown of the government with the beginning of the new fiscal year. And so um, we hope that uh, September will bring a CR for uh, several months so they can work through the final uh, parts of the appropriation bill. But many have said that the disagreements on spending are so significant that you have might have multiple CRs and even uh, CRs throughout an entire year, which is very difficult for the acquisition procurement workforce to deal with and is a reduction actually in budgetary authority. So that's very complicated, especially when DOD has said that they need definite amounts of money for resupply of equipment and supplies and um, you know many lessons learned that we've had from COVID and the last several years is that we need to have a resilient um, resupply and supply chain. Right and uh, you know just to build rebuild stockpiles of you know ammo and things like that there's going to take more money you know and then if you're you know also trying to enhance capabilities in the Indo-Pacific at the same time you know, I guess continuing resolutions would not necessarily lend itself to achieving those goals. Um, and I think we'll have to talk about that more, Tim, 
in future shows, just as we follow the budget issues and um, the debt ceiling and all that going into the summer and fall. So I'll definitely have you guys back to talk about that. I want to thank my guest today, Tim Cook. He is the executive director for the Center for Procurement Advocacy and Tom Sisti, who is the executive vice president and general counsel for the Coalition for Government Procurement. I'm Roger Waldron. You've been listening to Off the Shelf on Federal News Network. You've been listening to Off the Shelf with Roger Waldron of the Coalition for Government Procurement on Federal News Network. Tune in Tuesday mornings at 11 or subscribe to this show on iTunes or Podcast One.